You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. Everyone online, everyone in our Agent Court Church family, happy Thanksgiving. I want to start this talk just with a, a simple question that I want you to honestly answer in, with your inside voice, though. Okay, right in between. Don't say it out loud. How good is your memory? You know, at what level are you at in memory recall? Are you at the level that you come down the stairs, walk into your kitchen, you go like, why did I come in here? You know, you walk in, into another room and the people in the room are looking at you and you're looking around like, what, what was it I was supposed to do? Or are you at the level of memory where you unlock the door to your apartment or your house and you leave the keys in the door overnight? Anyone been there? Don't, don't, don't put your hand up. It's, don't, don't. How, how about this one? Are you at the pl- stage in, uh, of life that maybe you live with other people and you're looking for your car keys and they're nowhere to be found and conveniently other people provide you an excuse and you're convinced somebody has moved your keys only to find them in your purse later, Shelley. Uh, anyone been in that category? Anyone there uh, ever? Okay, how, how about this one? If you're doing great so far, what about when you go grocery shopping and then you leave the grocery store and then starts the game? Where did they hide my car? <laughs> and all of a sudden, instead of the security lock that you have that was meant to keep your car secure, it's really just help me find my car. You, you press it over and over until the horn starts going, and you're like, I'm parked there. Any, anyone in that quadrant? Anyone in that category? The interesting thing about memory, memory is powerful. It works for us and it even works against us. Now, it's interesting, some of the studies, the recent research on memory recall is fascinating in this much. Uh, I'll give you two reasons that I find it fascinating. One is this. We can be absolutely convinced that a conversation or something happened a certain way in our lives and be incredibly inaccurate. Our level of confidence in our memory and the level of accuracy in memory recall (laughs) It turns out that they're not that related. We can be incredibly confident and incredibly inaccurate. Because what happens with all of our memories, when it comes to details of what happened and how it happened, our memories experience an erosion over time. They deteriorate. Things that happened last week, we stop remembering the details. But here's what we are incredibly good at, though. Not detail memory recall, but emotional recall. We remember how we felt. So you can rewind the clock 42 years and you remember a conversation and you remember how you felt. You can remember last week you had a conversation or a situation happened and you remember the emotion surrounding that situation. And because you remember the emotion, you become convinced of the details must have gone like this in order for me to have felt that way. Even though the details might be inaccurate, our memories are feeling related. Feelings matter a whole bunch when it comes to memory recall. Here's how it works against us, though. Bad memories stick better than good memories, according to researchers. So bad memories, those memory feelings in our lives, stick closer to us, stick better to us than the good memories that happen in our lives. So uh, let me ask you a question, speaking of memories. Uh, How many remember what Pastor Keith spoke on last week? Tiss, 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 tiss. That's all right. I can't even remember what I ate yesterday. I get that. 
I loved what his first point in the message was. He was talking about it being okay to be different. It's okay to be more, more than where we presently are. And he said, if we're going to be okay with being more, his first point was this. We need to be okay with thinking God is for us. What an incredible truth that God is for you. God is not against you. God is not neutral towards you. God is not indifferent towards you, but God is for you. How come we forget that? Because if we believe that, if we remember that often, we would be some of the most courageous people on the planet. Can you imagine? I have God in my corner. He's pulling for me. God is for me. What an incredible courage-building, faith-building truth. God is for you. Thinking of that, why do you forget it? Well, probably it has a lot to do with your memory. One of two ways. Maybe you grew up in a church or a religious environment where you more heard about the anger of God or the judgment of God. So thinking God is for you, you're, you're more afraid of God. It's a fear-based relationship. Not fear of reverence in God, but fear of God. So what this looks like over time is you don't look forward and anticipate the return of Jesus. You're scared. <laughs> you're fearful that God might come back. You're not celebrating the fact that God knows everything you think and do because you don't see it from the vantage point that God, if God knows everything I think and do, he knows when I'm in difficulty and he'll be there for me. No, you think it's because of what, I don't want him to know what I do or think because I don't think he's for me. Or maybe you grew up in a home or a living situation where you received approval from someone or love from someone when you achieved high things. So then you feel like you never measure up in your relationship with God. So you have a lot of guilt when it comes to your relationship with God. Not the good type of guilt that leads us to change. The polluting type of guilt that it, it defines our relationship with God. We feel guilty all the time. So when someone says, like Pastor Keith last week, God is for us, we believe it on Sunday and we forget it on Monday. Because we're used to guilt and fear. Some, some of us are, we feel so guilty, we come to church and we don't want to come because we know we're going to feel guilty for some reason because our relationship with God is characterized by that. But we feel less guilty than if we didn't come. You can't win, right? This truth and that, that cycle we get caught up in where we forget all of this good stuff. Our relationship with God becomes a respectful but distant relationship, not a warm, loving, and caring relationship. Listen, I have good news for you today. You're just like the children of Israel if you've ever felt that. In fact, they had this tendency to forget really good things. They forgot a lot of really good things. They would, and where we're going to pick up the stories in Judges chapter 2. We've already been in creation. We talked about Abraham. Last week, Pastor Keith talked about the desert. We're going to go back to the desert in a minute. But they're in the promised land in Judges chapter 2, verse 10. God has delivered them from slavery. He has miraculously provided for them in the desert region. He has brought them into the promised land. Can I get a witness? It's an amazing moment. Something to celebrate. And in verse 10 of chapter 2, in the preceding verse, Joshua, their leader, has just died. And it says this in verse 10. When the whole generation had passed away, another generation came after them who didn't know the Lord or the things that he had done for Israel. Now, what's important to know, it's not that they didn't know the stories. It's not that they didn't know the truth. The Hebrew culture, the ancient Hebrew culture was an incredibly 
oral tradition culture. These uh, stories and these truths of God would have been passed down to the people around them with incredible accuracy. They knew the stories, but they didn't know God. This is like growing up in church so hard because we might know lots of information about God and not know him. They didn't have the emotional connection to God, what he had done, the deliverance, and what had happened to them. And so they forgot him. And you know, it's, uh, when you think about that, how can you forget God? How can you forget all of the amazing things that he had done for a people? Well, they fell, tra- they fell prey to the same thing you and I are so susceptible to. I, I call this a cycle. I mean, it repeats often in our lives. I call this the, the cray-cray cycle. That's urban for crazy cycle. It starts with us being ungrateful, just like the children of God. When you follow the story in the Old Testament, it's amazing how they consistently are in this cycle. They're ungrateful. And when you become ungrateful, you become forgetful. You've become forgetful of all the good that's going on, all the good moments, all the times that God has been there for you. We become ungrateful, we become forgetful, and then we become complainful. I know there are English teachers here right now, and you're saying, complainful is not a word. Stop complaining. Okay, and then when you're complainful, guess what happens? You become more ungrateful. And then when you become ungrateful, you become more forgetful. Guess what happens next? Rinse and repeat. We get caught up in the cycle, and the children of God do consistently in their relationship with God. They're caught in this cycle, this cray-cray cycle, and it produces such ingratitude in them. Now, that, that begs a question that I'm going to just pause and ask you. Is being ungrateful really a big deal? I mean, is it really be a big deal? Okay, let me ask it a different way. Is whining really a big deal? Is complaining really a big deal? You know, yes on Sunday, but come on on Monday, right? Because we live in a culture that celebrates it. We are in a culture that a sociologist calls it our generation right now, the generation of outrage. We are in a culture that celebrates outrage, celebrates complaining, whining. We actually have tools in our hands that we can amplify complaining all over the world. We can even have a false identity and from the comfort of our own home in our lazy chair, we can complain. We can do it, and it's celebrated, and it's normal. But if you're a follower of Jesus, we're supposed to be different. In fact, we're supposed to be thankful and grateful. This is how the Apostle Paul puts it. He says, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will. Oh, did you do the math there? Okay, whose will? It's God's will that what happens, that we are... Where? Okay, some of you are catching on. Okay, so it's God's will that we are thankful when? And you know this. You've probably heard it a thousand times from Pastor Keith and others through the years. Notice a little preposition. It doesn't say for all circumstances, but in all circumstances. Now, who? Who's to be thankful in all circumstances? This is the will of, for you who belong to Christ Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, we're to be thankful in all circumstances because that's God's will for our lives. Now, this is not a healthy hint for better living. This is not some sort of helpful suggestion so you can energize your life forward. 
This is not how to break out of your rut to overcome things at work. This is a command. So, so do the math with me. If it's God's will, we're thankful. And we're not thankful. What do you call that? It's a little quieter in here. Disobedience. That's what, that's what it's called. And so sometimes when we look at this, we think being ungrateful or complaining or whining or having a negative attitude somehow is not a big deal. But to God, it's pretty serious. I'm going to show you that today. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Numbers, if you would, in the Old Testament. Book of Numbers. We're going to look at a few verses, and we're going to see God's interaction with his people at that time. Now, before we go there, too, just as you're looking for it, let me give you a little disclaimer, because this is really helpful for me, because I missed this for years. Today, we're not talking about sharing your struggles and challenges. Uh, We're talking about that cray-cray cycle. When we start complaining and we're ungrateful and it produces ingratitude in us, we're not talking about sharing struggles and concerns in life with God or with people we love. Paul, Paul says this in Philippians. He says this, do everything without complaining. I really wish the everything was out of there, right? Uh, but, but, but do everything without complaining. Now, it's interesting. The word that he uses to translate, the Greek word, which the New Testament was written in, that he uses to translate to the word complaining in the English is gnosmush, which actually means it's where we get the modern translation of the word gong, you know, like a gong, a gong show. Uh, It's a rattling loud sound. And what it's saying is it's not so much even what we say, it's our tone. Tone actually matters. Tone matters a whole lot. How we feel actually matters. You know, it was uh, Maya... uh, Uh, Maya Alou Angelou, who said this, I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Tone matters. Tone matters in our relationships with others. Tone matters in our relationship with God. Now, why I want this disclaimer is I want to share this. For much of my life, the way I was raised was be positive. I never wanted to be that complainy, whiny guy. I never wanted to be that. I'd seen enough of that in life, and I always wanted to be the positive one looking for the good. Now, I've never done that perfectly, but that was always my intent. So consequently, I'd be with a good friend, and the friend would ask me, like, Jonathan, how you doing? And I'd say, good, automatically. Lie right through my teeth sometimes. I come home from work, and Shelly say, how was your day at work? I said, great. Even if it was the worst day I had put in in years, Great. Why? Because I'm not going to be negative. I'm not going to be that whiny, complaining guy. Now, the problem was with that was I misunderstood. The Bible has another alternative, and he says to bear one another's burdens, to cast your anxieties on God because he cares for you. And even in my relationship with God, I was sanitized. I didn't want to be negative, so I just talked about the good. You know what happens over time? You build walls between you and the people that actually care about you. Because you know what? You never struggle. And that's never true, is it? The person you think never struggles, they struggle. But they're not willing to show vulnerability. And vulnerability is key. It's in the spirit of humility we share our struggles and challenges with those who know us and love us best and with God. And that is critically important. So I'm not talking about that today. That's something some of you need to do more of. I'm talking about 
that complaining, negative attitude, that whiny tone, that ganoushmosh that Paul is talking about in Philippians. So here the children of Israel are in Numbers. And they're journeying through the desert. And you got to understand now, they've been journeying and they will journey for 40 years. If you're familiar with the story in the Bible, you, you ever ask yourself, why are they wandering in the desert for 40 years? And we get our answer right in the scripture there. They wandered 40 years because of this. They were in the cray-cray cycle. They were practicing ganusmosh. The whole time, they're complaining. They're ungrateful. They're forgetting God. They're forgetting God's goodness. And they stay in this cycle. I wonder how many times I've been in a cycle where I've never been able to move forward for what God has for me because I got caught up in this cray-cray cycle. This is what I did best. They're in that place. They're, they're practicing this regularly. Here's an example. Numbers chapter 11. I love how the message version puts it. He says, the riffraff, and the riffraff, it's a small group of people. Among the people had a craving. Now, most of our complaining comes from our cravings, not being meant to our satisfaction. So the riffraff among the people had a craving, and soon they had the people of Israel whining. This little group had the whole nation whining. Why can't we have meat? We ate fish in Egypt and got it for free. To say nothing of the cucumbers and the melons, the leeks and the onions, the garlic, but nothing tastes good out here. All we get is manna, manna, manna. Now, they never said it this way. They didn't say it this way. Like, they didn't say, but, but nothing tastes good out here. All we get is manna, manna, manna. No, 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 no. You're missing the ganoush motion, this, the whiny tone. No, they would have been saying, all we get is manna, manna, manna. So every service, everybody's been so good to indulge me, and I'd like to indulge you. I'd love you to get your best whining voice out. I mean, some of you, come on, come on. Some of you are really gifted at this. Come on, get your best whining voice out, and on the count of three, say manna, manna, manna out loud. You ready? One, two, three. Yeah, I mean, come on, some of you were amazing there, right? <laughs> Here's the thing, they weren't going to God with their struggles and challenges, they were going with their complaints. And there's a truth about complaining. Complaining is communicable. It's infectious. Do you notice in the, t in the text, the riffraff, a small group of people infected the whole nation. But you know what that's like. It spreads so easily. It's like an infection from one person to the other. Listen, at your Thanksgiving meal, it'll take one family member. <laughs> well, the food's cold. It's dry. Just like, you know, you guys already know who that is, right? <laughs> and if you don't remember, you might be them. I don't know. But, but there's, that, there's, there's that little bit of complaining that leaks out at work. It's one or two negative people, and they change the culture of a team that used to be exciting or whatever it might be. It, it, it can happen in your school. It's one classmate. It can happen in your neighborhood. It's a couple of neighbors, and they just change the tone. They change the tone of the street. They change the tone of your apartment building. It's amazing how it takes very little to pollute the larger pool. See, a complainer does this. A complainer has this dark lens by which they see the world. And they come along and they tap you on the shoulder and they hold up that lens so you can see through it. So, man, it's cold in here or the food is dry. And all of a sudden you're going like, I never noticed that before, but now that you mention it, 
It is cold. In, and you know what? It's, it's always, you know, this is where it always goes. It doesn't go from it's cold in here, and I'm not saying about here, but it's cold in here or the food's dry. It turns into it's always cold in here and the food is always dry. You notice how it always gets more dramatic? It gets expansive over time. Well, here they are, the children of God, and they're complaining, they're forgetting. In Exodus chapter 16 is probably the best example of it. It says this, In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only, it's dramatic, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Pretty dramatic. But you notice what they're doing? They're revising history here. Complainers do that. They're revising the history. They're saying, don't you remember? I mean, in Egypt, we're at an all-inclusive. I mean, we never paid rent. We had meat, just pots of meat. We just ate meat all day. It was like nonstop Korean barbecue all day. We had a, we had a never closed tapenaki table and the guy was out there cooking up the food and that's all we did. Except for the slavery thing. <laughs> Conveniently left out in the information. They're history revisionists. They're remembering all the good highlight points and forgetting that, yeah, 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 but it was free because you were in prison. They gave you the food because you were the free labor force. They wanted you to stay alive so you could work your 14-hour days making bricks and straw. Where's that in the text? Oh, it's completely missed. It doesn't even get mentioned. doesn't even come up. Here's the interesting thing. Complaints are not only just communicable, but complaining always creates more complaints. Fair notice that? Start complaining, you find more things to complain about. It grows. It's like when you're married <laughs> and, uh, and you start seeing things in that person that was perfect before you married them. And then, you know, once you start seeing things, you'll see more things. And, and it kind of grows in the way it is. You get in that cray-cray cycle. You start to be un ungrateful for what they do. Uh, ungrateful for them and their contribution and you begin to forget you don't forget what you've done you notice that I always remember what I've done but I quickly forget what Shelly's been doing <laughs> to contribute to whatever and then we get complainful and we become ungrateful we get caught up in that that little cycle of things now there's great research around this that the more you complain the more things you'll find to complain about they did two study groups two control groups that for 10 weeks had an exercise. They each had to keep a journal. One group kept a gratitude journal. And at the end of every day, they needed to write down what they were thankful for. The other group, they kept an annoyance journal. And they would write down every day at the end of the day, everything that irritated them. Some people are honorary members of that group. <laughs> but they did that for 10 weeks. And the research that came back was fascinating. They found that those who practiced the gratitude journal, that over time they noticed that they were not only more energetic and enthusiasm, they slept better and they were less depressed. Those who took, but here's the larger truth. Whatever each of the groups did intentionally, they began to unintentionally do in their workplace and at home. So what they did is they interviewed everyone in their lives. People that didn't even know they were keeping these journals. People at work, their family. 
And they found that those who had practiced the gratitude journal, they found that over time, their, even their work colleagues recognized they were more appreciative. They were more thankful for things in life. They were just kinder in the workplace. Something changed in them. And they noticed with those who practiced the annoyance journal that they were more irritable. There was more conflict. That go figure, they were more annoying. It's amazing that whatever they did intentionally, they began to do unintentionally. But God's so gracious to his people. They're hungry, they're in the desert, and he gives them manna. Now manna, let's give them a break, because uh, this is what the word manna means in the Hebrew. Manna simply defines mean, means what is this, or whatever this is. Let me say to you, these are probably two statements you don't want to hear if you're having a Thanksgiving meal with your family this week. You know, the meal gets down and you're like, what is this? Or worse, whatever this is, get it out of here, whatever it is. And the more you begin to study what was wrong with the manna, it was bland. It was just bland. It wasn't a good collection of spices. It wasn't a good curry. It was just bland in taste. And so they want meat. They begin to complain for meat. They want more meat. They're carnivores. So here's what happens. God finally has enough. Numbers chapter 11 says this. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves for preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. Yay! The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Mm -hmm. Now the Lord will give you meat and you'll eat it. You will eat it not just for one day, two days, five days, 10 days, or 20 days, but the whole month until it comes out your nostrils and you loathe it. Wow. God's teaching them a lesson here, though. This is not an angry dad who's going to like, okay, yeah, 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 you want this? I'm going to give. God doesn't lose his cool like that. That's not it. God knows, listen, I could give you meat whatever you're craving, but it won't stop your complaining. You'll just find something else to complain about. You know, it's interesting when you get caught up in the cray-cray cycle, it's easy to see in other people, it's hard to see in you. But in this cycle, all of a sudden, these things that we get meant, these cravings that are finally meant, whatever that is that we need. And once, if we're in this cycle, once that gets met, it doesn't make us more grateful. We just notice other things, more things that need to be met. We're, we're looking at what other people have now and what we don't have. And, you know, the, that cycle just goes bigger and larger, and it speaks larger. See, complaining lacks perspective. It always does. It lacks perspective. I, I, you know, I don't know a better place for this or maybe a place where it happens more often than in, than in the home, especially if you live with other people. You can so take people for granted so easily, can't you? Uh, you lack perspective of how blessed you are so easily, right? You can see what you're not getting. You can't see what they're giving. And you begin to become a lot like this guy that's going to show up on the screens who took people for granted and things for granted. Go ahead. Dave, so did you say you were going to make dinner? I couldn't remember. <sighs> what? I just wish you'd take some initiative and cook your own dinner for once. I've been at work too, you know, and what, now I get to come home and pack the dishwasher and then unpack the dishwasher and cook dinner and put the washing on and you know what, I can't continue to live like this because hey, it's hey, not hey, me. Hey, hey, relax. It's gonna be alright. How? Here, I'll just show you. 
Okay, I've been doing this since we moved in. See this basket thing? I don't know how it happens, if it's the house or what, but any dirty clothes you put in this basket, somehow the next day they're just clean, folded, and in a perfect pile on your bed. You're not serious. I couldn't believe it at first either, but it just keeps happening. That's why I didn't tell you, I didn't want to jinx it. You are insane. Try it, you'll see. Unless it's only chosen me. See, I don't know. I can't do this. No, wait. There's other things too. Plates, cutlery, pizza boxes, dirty tissues, anything you leave on this coffee table just vanishes overnight. And then sure enough, the next day, it's all gone. It's just vanished. It's magic. No, she wouldn't have left me. This is what I think happened. I heard her get up in the middle of the night to get a drink or something. She must have fallen onto the magic coffee table and just vanished. Are you insane? No, he's not insane. I've got the same coffee table at home. So I, I, I don't know, friends. I don't know if you have a magic dishwasher that somehow loads itself and you go to get a glass and there it is. It, it's, it's even unloaded itself. I have no idea if you had that same magic or if you have that magic laundry basket that somehow you put the dirty clothes in and somehow they, they're cleaned and maybe they're even put away for you. I have no idea if you have a magic bill payer that somehow the bills just get paid and I don't know how it happens, it just seems to happen. I don't know if you have a magic money tree that somehow someone goes away for eight hours and comes back and there's money for things to happen. I don't know. But it's amazing how we begin to take those things for granted. It's amazing how we begin to lose perspective. And it's so true for me and likely of you too. Instead of focusing on the goodness of God, we can quickly see what we don't have or what others have that we wish we had. Friends, we, it is so easy to get into this cray-cray cycle. I don't think it's ever been easier through social media and other things to see and be aware of everything you don't have. To be, develop an ungratefulness in your heart, to become forgetful of, especially as a follower of Christ, what Christ has done for you, and then to become complainful in this culture. It's so easy to slide into it. And in the story, in Numbers, that God has enough of it. In fact, the psalmist, David, says in Psalm 109, says this, that the people of God stirred up the wrath of God, grumbling in their tents. They would worship, and then they would grumble all the way home. And they grumble when they get at home. And it says this in Numbers 14. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I've heard the complaints of, and their, of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. You're not taking care of me, God. You're not giving, you're not, you're not, you don't have my back. You're not for me. So God says, okay, I'll take the step back and you got it. And this is what he says. He says, in the wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old and more, who has counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. Why did they wander for 40 years? So that they wouldn't take the grumblers with them into the promised land. You know, I read this, you read this from our modern perspective and mindset, and we think, whoa, God, it's pretty serious ramifications, right? Like, why do you take being ungrateful so serious? 
I like what Edwin Lutzer says, a famous theologian. He said this about this passage. He said, complaining might seem innocent to us, but God takes it personally. Why? Because at the heart, if you're stripping away all the whining, the complaining, the negative attitude, all those things, if you're stripping it away, at its core, it's really saying, God, I don't believe you. I don't believe you're going to do what you said you were going to do. I don't believe you're going to do what you promised you'd do. When you strip down ungratefulness and you strip down complaining, that's what's at the core of it. Now, here's the thing, for, particularly for those of us who are Christians. You and I were designed, every human being was designed to worship God. Whining is the opposite of worship. Complaining is the opposite of praise. And we were designed to do these things. This is what you and I were made for. Worship is recognizing, giving God glory for all that he's done, for all that he is, and it's even, worship is looking forward, as Pastor Keith taught us even in the communion time, it's looking forward and giving him glory for all that he is yet to do. It is saying to him, I believe you keep your word. So the children of God, they're freed from slavery, they get food miraculously provided for them in the desert, they're thirsty, water comes out of a rock, the Red Sea is parted and held back, they're able to escape their enemies, and yet the theme of his people is ganoshmush. It's too hot. The journey's too long. The food is too bland. Listen, friends, God is so good. So good to us. And the reason why it's a particularly serious sin for those who are Christ followers is because complaining undermines the good news of the gospel. You and I are to be lights to this world. And when we complain, when we, it's not when we deal with our struggles and we, we take things to the proper people, I'm not talking about that type of stuff. You know what I'm talking about, that cycle we get on, that cray-cray cycle. When we as Christians are supposed to be the most thankful, content, and grateful people on the planet. And because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, because of the punishment he took for us. Man, I said it two weeks ago. Christians, those who are followers of Jesus are grossly overpaid. They're so blessed. It's incredible how blessed we are. But that's why Paul would say, do everything without grumbling or complaining so that you can shine like stars in the universe. It's hard to see when we're caught up in this. Other people can see it better in us than we can see it in ourselves. But when we get caught up in the cray-cray cycle, it's almost like instead of being a light of the gospel in this world, we have a dimmer switch on and we're turning down the light. The more we're in the cycle, the less we shine bright Where's the evidence of change and transformation that Jesus has brought in your life? It's so dark, we start sounding just like everybody else, right? But there's a better way. How many are ready for some better ways? Well, I, I need it. So there's a better way. Instead of getting off the cray-cray cycle, there's a better way. I call it the awesome sauce cycle, okay? It's awesome sauce. You ready for some awesome sauce? Yeah, okay, bring it. Okay, awesome sauce. Here it is. When we practice gratitude, and sometimes this is work, we practice gratitude, it makes us more mindful. Mindful of the blessing people are in our lives. More mindful that if we've succeeded in life, there's probably been a string of people who have poured into us and given us opportunities in this life. They may not have been perfect, but all of a sudden you can see the good in them. More grateful, more mindful, and it makes you more praiseful. Again, probably not a word, but we're going to use it anyway. And you know, when you start being more praiseful, 
you can't help but be more grateful. And when you get more grateful, you can't help but be more mindful. And when you're more mindful, you cannot help but being more praiseful. It changes the tone of everything. I was thinking about it this week, and uh, a few weeks ago, Shelley and I were uh, going on a, a long walk. And we were walking, and, you know, before we knew it, we were right in the cycle. I, you know, we have things going on in our lives just like you have things going on in your lives. Had nothing to do with the church or anything like that. But just tough stuff. Tough stuff we're processing. Tough stuff we're processing from our past and looking around us and all the kinds of stuff every human being does. And you know what? Just little sparks of ungratefulness came up. And before long, we forgot all the good moments. And we were just complaining. Now, we didn't go out on that walk intending to get on the cray-cray cycle, but to be honest, our hearts and minds have been there for a little while. You know when things come out of your mouth? Where do they come from? Yeah, bingo, your heart. And somehow, you know, for us, it's not, it's not, it's not that we want something different on the menu. For us, it's the injustices in life. It's the dings you get in life. It's the wounds you get in life. And you start to become a little less grateful. And you become more forgetful. And then you get this complainful spirit. Partway through the walk, we recognized what was going on. I, I, I don't know who changed the tone of the conversation first. Shelly or I. Probably me. And <laughs> I'm always going to come out looking good, friends. So I'm always going to... It's probably Shelly, but I'm just going to throw her under the bus right now. <laughs> But I remember, I remember where we were walking where we began to stop ourselves because we recognized what we were doing. What, what, are, what are we doing? This is not us. And we began to look back and we just, I don't know, I don't know who said it first. I honestly don't. And looking back and say, do you remember when God did this? Do you remember how worried we were and how we didn't have a solution? We couldn't figure it out. And we were upset and we were even angry and God came through. All of a sudden, it just began spewing mindfully just how blessed we were. All of a sudden, we saw people or things that were going in our life that in a few minutes before were things we were, might have been complaining about, and we saw the good in them. And we saw what they intended and everything else, and our mindfulness changed, and all of a sudden, I mean, we're full praising. We're running into the back of the house. We're coming into the house after the end of our walk, and man, it's just flowing off our lips. We felt like a million bucks. Why? Nothing had changed around us. We had changed. So friends, if you're like us, you just slide into the cray-cray cycle. The culture is encouraging it. It appeals to a piece of us. And if you want to get out of it, you have to be intentional. You have to be intentional. You need to practice gratitude. So how do you do that? Well, we're going to help you. We're going to help you this week. Everyone that leaves the place today will receive a gratitude journal. It's seven days, and I want you for the next seven days, if you would, as a church family, if you're online, you can go to onechurch.to slash journal and get a digital copy. But for seven days, we want you to keep a gratitude journal. Now, you might be saying, well, Jonathan, listen, I don't journal. Cool. Can you write a word down? Because it's not a, not a hard journal. You just... Fill in, we prompt you, we have some Bible verses along the way to encourage you. And at the very back, we have a bunch of verses that speak about the goodness of God. Everything Jesus, 
Jesus has done for you. I dare you to read them this week and not be grateful. And when you begin that process of the awesome sauce cycle and you start to practice gratitude, you will see people differently. You'll see and you'll be more mindful of the gift that God has blessed you with the moments in time he's been there for you. And I guarantee this will happen. You can't help but meditate on Jesus and what he's done for us that you will not be more praiseful. So we're going to do that today. Part of our benediction here on a Thanksgiving weekend. We're, I'm going to invite you in a moment just to stand and our band is going to lead us in a praise song. And we're going to leave praising God today. Now, to help us with that, I'm going to read a little bit of Psalm 34. Because the psalmist, he's trying to get out of the cray-cray cycle and get in on the awesome cycle. So I'd invite you to stand, if you would, right across this room. If you're online, feel free to stand unless you're on a moving bus. So as you're standing, here's the words of the psalmist. Let this be our benediction today. He says, I bless God every chance I get. My lungs expand with his praise. I live and breathe God. If things aren't going well, hear this and be happy. Join me in spreading the good news. Together, let's get the word out. God meant me more than halfway. He freed me from my anxious fears. Look at him. Give him your warmest smile. Never hide your feelings from him. When I was desperate, I called out and God got me out of a tight spot. God's angels set up a circle of protection around us while we pray. Open your mouth and taste. Open your eyes and see how good God is. Blessed are you who run to him. Worship God if you want what's best. Worship opens the door to all of God's goodness. God keeps his eyes on his friends. He hears, picks up every moan and groan. If anyone is crying for help, God is listening, ready to rescue you. If your heart is broken, you'll find God right there. If you've been kicked in the gut, he'll help you catch your breath. He's your bodyguard, shielding your bone. Not even a finger will be broken. God pays for each slave's freedom. No one who runs to him ever loses out. Happy Thanksgiving. God bless you. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.